you know, get people out here and, you know, help. Uh, and uh, we're just thankful that you have seen the vision to keep Christian education going. Uh, our fundamental churches, uh, independent Baptist type churches, uh, have not. And it's been, it's been a bad decision uh, on the part of our churches. I want to show you a video. Our concern at Operation Renewed Hope, when we first started, uh, this is my 31st year doing this, people wouldn't support us in the independent Baptist churches. For 15 years, there were three churches that would give to us. Uh, and uh, the reason was because they believed that we were social gospel, that we would quit giving the gospel because we were helping people. And in those days, uh, we didn't help anybody. If you couldn't pull yourself up by your own bootstrap, I don't know what you're doing here anyway, okay? Uh, and you know what changed that? Hurricane Katrina. That was really unbelievable. Uh, all of a sudden, the people in the churches said to the pastors, look, if you're not going to go and help those people down there, uh, we're going to go and give our money to organizations that are. So I would have pastors. Now, keep in mind, I told you three churches were supporting us. Uh, I, would, uh, I would have pastors call me and they would go, now look, uh, we gotta, we got to know, are you going to preach the gospel? And I'd always say, well, of course, we've done it for 15 years preaching the gospel. You want to go to the churches that have been started off our clinics? Well, uh, you're not going to believe this, but I have an $8,000 offering. And we've never taken up that much money in our lives. And the people said if we don't do something, they're going to give their money someplace else to uh, the United Way or to the Red Cross or somebody. Well, we can't let that happen. And I'd say, well... We're working down there. We're working as fast as we can. It was horrible down there. It's the only storm that covered five states. And we were working in all five states. Feeding, taking care of people, trying to rebuild. Uh, and at the end of that storm, 600 churches had donated. Because the people finally said, enough is enough. Our churches need to enter the world again. We had isolated ourselves. We, well, we, did, we just don't have anything to do with lost people. They contaminate you. And that was terrible. Isolation kills. And it drives people away. And so, all of a sudden, churches, uh, we've still got churches today that are still supporting us from all that. That was back in 2004 and five. And uh, so our ministry grew, and it began to really uh, grow exponentially. We had a, a fast-moving ministry as it was, but all of a sudden it just blossomed because the churches finally figured out you've got to do something. It's not just learning something. We're, we're Dead Sea Christians. You know what that means? It all goes in and nothing goes out. And Dead Sea Christians get just like the Dead Sea. Uh, it's unusable. And God comes to the point where he would love to use us, but he just can't. Because everything's gone in and nothing is going out. And the church cannot in any way be that way. So I want to show you what our ministry does. 
We're not the only ministry in this country doing this now. When we started, we pretty much were uh, as far as uh, Bible-believing churches. But since that time, the churches have produced uh, quite a few missionary people. People are seeing the difference when you help somebody. Now, our video is called Jesus Saves, you know, because we're now concerned at Operation Renewed Hope that the churches are not giving the gospel. It's not going out. And so we want you to know that we at Operation Renewed Hope have never stopped believing nor attempting to give the gospel and that we need to have ministries doing that. So, uh, brother, if you would play the video, Jesus Saves. The worth of a Christian organization is defined by its faithfulness the worth of a and dedication to preach the gospel of Christ. Jesus came to save. Yes, because Jesus saves. First John 2, 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It is the desire of Operation Renewed Hope to honor the biblical mandate that those who have trusted Christ walk in good works as ordained of God in order to fulfill the intent of Christ's salvation. Ephesians 2, 8-10 For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. ORH purposed 25 years ago to reveal the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ through works, displaying to the world His mercy to all mankind. Since the beginning of ORH, evangelistic medical clinics, working with field missionaries, have been the foundation for honoring His saving grace. Both through domestic and foreign field clinics, the gospel has gone forth to tens of thousands of individuals who have attended the clinics. Missionaries testify what has been accomplished for the gospel of Christ. I've been working with Operation Renewed Home now since 2007, and we have seen God use the love shown in these medical clinics to open people's hearts to what really matters, and that's receiving Christ as a personal Savior. And when the people see our compassion and love, it just unlocks their hearts, and they just open their hearts to hear the Word of God. And many are receiving Christ. We've had 120 so far in just two days trust Christ in this area. And this is a difficult Khmer Rouge area. We've just finished a uh, week of medical clinic here with Operation Renewed Hope. And uh, I tell you, I, I, my heart, as tired as I am, my heart is just overflowing with joy. And I just praise the Lord. Uh, we have been able to uh, get the gospel uh, to over 1,000 people just this week. And it's just been a tremendous blessing. We've been here four days. The first day, we saw 44 people saved. The second day, 95 people. The next day, 105. 
376, 320 people in, in, in all. It's just been phenomenal. We probably could have had many more people saved if we would have just stayed open longer, but that was really almost impossible. Medical professionals and non-medical volunteers can confirm God's grace is extended to the world through the preaching which occurs at the clinics. You know, we get to show the love of Jesus and we get to show people their need for a savior. But what's exciting about ORH is they have it figured out. I mean, they do it in such a way that it's very well organized. The people are feeling like they're treated special and uh, then they hear a meaningful presentation of the gospel. I love um, how it opens the door. We get to see so many people and individually touch lives and help them medically. Um, as a nurse, that's very important. We get to come in and open the door and show them love and compassion medically, which opens the door to share about the love and compassion of Christ. One of the best ways is to, to soften a heart before giving the gospel is, is through compassion. And, and I know that's one of the things that's preached here quite often. I love the fact that each person that I meet is in a few minutes going to hear the gospel and it just brings great joy to me. So I love it. The acts of mercy which Jesus did inspired this statement. And let us not be weary in well-doing. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Since 1998, Operation Renewed Hope has sought to relieve the suffering of those who have encountered the hostile acts of a world captured in sin. Hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, famines, typhoons, cyclones, and other natural disasters have been opportunities for God to work through Operation Renewed Hope. Shipping needed relief goods through missionaries or mission organizations to hospitals, schools, churches. Rebuilding after massive destruction. Flying missions of mercy through Air Hope missions. Providing medical care in the worst of conditions. Securing emergency surgical care, blood transfusions, and hospital care for many in need. Feeding children and supporting children's home works. In over 40 nations, Operation Renewed Hope has launched and maintained efforts through churches and missionaries for the purposes of relieving suffering, preaching the gospel, and establishing and strengthening churches, always believing that God desires all men to be saved. Evangelists who have given their lives to preaching the gospel testify to the work of ORH. You know, I'm grateful for the friendship of Brother Jan Milton and for the Operation Renewed Hope and the impact this ministry has had upon lives of many people. A ministry of this caliber deserves our support and our prayers. And I pray that God will continue blessing this ministry as it endeavors to reach the lost for the Lord Jesus Christ. I wish that you could have been with us overseas, Brother Milton. I wish we could just transport the whole crowd. Wish you could have stood in one service on the island of Neos and seen about 500 people. And we preached a little simple gospel message and the majority of them 
responded to the gospel. We believe, according to what the nationals are telling us in five days, there have been well over 400 who have made public profession saying, I'm receiving Jesus. Every place where we have been, we have a good local church and a solid pastor, and they're excited. They're taking those cards. They will follow them up. And so that's what it's all about. The Savior's compassion for the suffering is an unparalleled example of God's amazing grace. As Matthew wrote in his gospel, Jesus looked out over the multitude stripped of human strength and was moved with compassion. It is that compassion that drives our ministry. Souls for Jesus has been, and always will be, the battle cry of those who work with Operation Renewed Hope, because Jesus saves. Last, uh, the first part where they're singing Souls for Jesus, that's the uh, Herbster Trio. I don't know if you know the Herbsters. Uh, good people. Uh, they're very, very close friends of mine. Uh, and uh, then the last part, I wrote uh, Bob Jones. And I said, uh, you know, when I was at the university, there were over a thousand preacher boys. And we would sing Souls for Jesus every day or every Monday when we got together. Uh, and I said, do you have a copy of those thousand preacher boys singing Souls for Jesus? And they said, boy, we don't know. And so they hunted back through the archives. And on the, the last people singing Souls for Jesus was a thousand preacher boys singing Souls for Jesus is our battle cry. Folks, we've left that. We can't let that happen. We've got to go back to it. Souls for Jesus. That's our battle cry. Because what's happening is uh, we're losing the mission field because our churches are having to drop support. And the reason they're having to drop support is because they're not healthy uh, in the congregation. And if we continue this way, you know, when mother is sick, everybody's sick. Did you know that? Dad can be sick, and everybody goes, well, i got to go, go here, you know. Mom's sick, everybody whispers, is she okay? How's she doing? How's she feel? You know why? Because how many times have you watched a football game on TV, and a kid goes, hi, Mom. Does he ever say, hi, Dad? No. And Dad has to dole out more money to him, you know. You know why he says, hi, Mom? Because mom's home. When he thinks of home, he thinks of mom. Because she's the one that told him how wrong he was and how right he was. And he believes her. Because she'd be just as quick to tell him how wrong he was as how right he was. Now dad, he'll kind of him ha. Well son, I don't know that I would have done it that way. But I appreciate what you did. And, and dad's standing there knowing he did it all wrong. But not mom. Mom will look at him and say, you ever do that again. And I'll be so ashamed of you, you can't imagine and you go, okay, mom, you know? So when you think of home, you think of mom. You think of the food, you think... The kitchen was where you grew up. First thing you did when you go home is you head to the kitchen where mom is, right? Because that's where you want to talk. 
That's where everything occurred. And um, we are in a situation where Mother, the church, is sick. We're no longer giving the gospel and reproducing ourselves. You see, and that's what Mama did. She went to the doors of death in order to bring every one of us into life. Did she not? Yes, she did. Yes. And so if Mama's sick, the whole thing's going to break down because everything that is done is done through the local church. You can say what you want to, but without that local church, you don't have students to go to Christian schools, and that's what we're experiencing. Without that local church, you don't have missionaries being called to the field and coming out of churches. Without that local church being strong and healthy, you don't have baptismal waters stirred, and you don't have people saved. And folks, we just cannot allow this anymore. We've sat too long and said, oh my, everything's terrible, and everybody dislikes us, and oh my, pity, pity, pity party. Well, it's time to get up and do something. And that's what we are trying to get our churches to see, because everyone hurts when mother hurts. And the fundamental Baptist church, the independent Baptist church, is the basis, it's the mother of everything that has ever been done in this country. Pastor, would you agree with that? You know? And uh, I'm just thankful for this brother because he sees that. I know he does. Uh, You say, well, how can I be involved? Well, if you'd like to be involved with Operation Renewed Hope, now there's 50 things, 50 other ministries, 100 ministries that you can get involved with. We need both medical and non-medical. I have to have 15 non-medical people. Look, I go, I've gone on trips for 30 years, and I can't even put a Band-Aid on myself. Do you not put all the Band-Aids on me? Okay, that settles it right there, okay? But I work my heart out because I don't need to do medical. I need to do the work so a doctor can do the medical. That's what he's trained to do. So if you, you say, well, I don't know, I can't do anything, and... I can put you to work in 12 different ways, okay? And when you get through, you'll be so tired, you'll be glad to get home and see Mama, all right? I guarantee it, all right? We have one rule at Operation Renewed Hope. Well, actually, two. The first rule is, remember, we've got to take you home to Mama. And if there's anything, I, I never will forget, I had a mother come up to me, and she she got, oh, really in my personal space, and she said, you see that person right over there and pointing to her son who was traveling with us. I'm giving him to you in that condition. <laughs> and then she looked at me and she said, I expect him back in that condition. So our first rule is we always have to get you home to mama. And if mama's not happy, we are in serious trouble. All right? And we have the second rule, which is if there's any question about rule, about rules, always refer to rule number one. That's our two rules. We've got to come home to mama. So uh, we need your help. Uh, if you're medical, I can use you in 50 different ways. Uh, we see 1,000 patients average in a clinic. 
Uh, we have to have 35 to 55 people on every team. We've had as high as 99 people on teams, broken them up into two and went two separate directions and came back together at night. Uh, and uh, so it's, uh, you know, we just need your help. Uh, we have disaster work. Uh, maybe you can go into, and do you know how many ladies, if I can ever stabilize the ladies in a disaster area, the whole thing just kind of goes like this. It's back to normal. And you hear that little heartbeat going on. Okay, why? Because the women in a community are the things that hold that community together. And uh, we're, we're very thankful that our first efforts is to stabilize the women in a disaster area. So maybe you'd like to go with us and just sit with somebody and go, well, here, let me, uh, let me hang these curtains for you. And she's discouraged, and she goes, oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. And, you know, uh, Maybe you'd like to go and help pass out food. Maybe you'd like to go and help give the gospel. Uh, you can do both, pass out food and give the gospel, hang a curtain and give the gospel. Uh, maybe you'd like to go. You're a, um, a person who works with uh, your hands. Maybe you'd like to go and help somebody to... Uh, demolish a building, clean up an area, or do uh, sheetrocking, do uh, uh, you know uh, any type of carpentry work. Uh, maybe you're a roofer. Uh, we need all of that. So there's not a profession that we don't need. Uh, so if you would like to, there is a card back on the table. Please take that card. And there are three things I ask for. Number one, your name. Number two, your email. And number three, your church. All you got to do is write those three things, and we will put you on a mail-out list that will tell you everything that you can get involved in, and it is multiple, believe me. Uh, and don't, uh, you know, uh, if you go with us, you may get the bug. And if you get the bug, you'll never stop going. You just go again and again and again. So this is, the, this is the day the Lord hath given us to minister. It's not a bad day. It is a difficult day. But we've got a great God who can do things beyond what we even think or hope. I could stand here for hours and tell you stories that you would just go, you would laugh. I've had people just in the church service, you can hear them laughing because it, God did that. That wasn't human. That was God doing it. Uh, and things that you would go, no, that never happened. You're telling a story. And I go, no, let me tell you about it. Why? Because people who engage life for God, they meet him. Up close and personal. William Carey said, attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. And folks, that was true then, and it is true today. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, at my church, I want to be a part of my church, okay? Uh, my, I try so hard because I'm on the road a lot, or I've got other duties, and I actually go into my church, and I don't even know the names of some of the people in my church. And that is terrible. You can't imagine how bad that is. My wife will go, well, so-and-so did this. And I'll go, I, I, I don't know them. And she'll go, sure you do. You know, they, they sit here because everybody sits basically, you know, this person sits here. 
uh, the preacher can go, where's so-and-so? They don't have to search the congregation. <laughs> They're not there because they always sit in that chair right there, you know? And uh, I don't know. So uh, I have to get involved in my church because I believe that the local church is the basis for the work of God. And so uh, I went to my pastor and I said, Pastor, I've got to be involved here. And he said, okay. And so I am the evangelism pastor for our church. Now, it's sad that somebody at my age has to be the evangelism pastor, but all of our pastors coming out of most schools today have no idea of anything to do with evangelism because nobody's teaching them and the church is not doing it anymore. Okay? And so uh, somebody my age has to do it because I'm familiar with it. I know about it. And so we have developed a, oh, just a broad broad evangelism program in our church. Uh, why, do we, why do we need evangelism today? Well, first of all, because it used to be it was the God of humanism. Remember that? That was God, humanism, man. Then we developed this crazy religion, and it's called diversity. I mean, you can't sell socks today if it's not diverse. They've got diverse threads inside the... I mean, it's, I've, I've seen them advertised this way. And as long as that word diversity is on there, people buy. Okay? Uh, that's called inclusivism. Uh, then there is a means of salvation. Tolerance. If I tolerate you, you've never done anything wrong. That's the means of salvation today. All right? Uh, and uh, that's called pluralism. Everybody's right. Nobody's wrong. I just tolerate belief. Now, you know as well as I do, somebody's got to be wrong. <laughs> but we fooled ourselves. We've believed a lie. Not everybody's right. It's not going to be. All right? Uh, if everybody was right, we'd all be millionaires, right? Uh, then there's the culture that has faith in technology. Uh, secular faith and all of a sudden it's no longer technology it is faith that there's a metamorphosis that takes place in the mind of people that when you say the word technology you're saying faith we used to pray for people who were sick only in rare occasions do we really pray for people that are sick because there's hospitals and it's amazing what technology can do today to save people's lives. We don't need to pray. We used to pray about money. We don't have to any longer. We've got money uh, in credit cards. We're getting to the point where we don't even carry cash. I, I don't have a penny on me. And, and I know I'm buying lunch, but I, I do have a credit card. So we better be going someplace with a credit card, brother. Uh, why? Because I can get anything I want on my credit card. All right? Uh, they have evangelism. It's called education. If you don't believe the kids are indoctrinated and are good little social engineered people, just talk with them for a few minutes and you'll hear the party line. It's there and it doesn't go away. Uh, there is a doctrine. It's called political correctness or secular social truths. And if you violate those, they'll take your job away from you. 
Do you believe me now? When I first started preaching this, man, I can't tell you how long ago it was. Early 2000, maybe 1999, people sit there and go, preacher, don't worry, it's not happening here. Nobody says that anymore. It's happening here. It might have started here. Uh, then we have a pulpit, and it's called the media. And 24 hours a day, they preach the secular, social message that engineers every thought of your waking life. And we don't even know how much they've impacted us. So much so that we're ashamed of God in most cases. We'll never say anything in public about God. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'll lose my job. I'll lose all my friends. I'll be called some kind of fanatic idiot. Uh, they used to laugh at me when I said that. They don't anymore. Because the, everybody knows tomorrow your job will depend on the fact that you keep your mouth shut about God. Am I far off with all this? I don't think so. I think I defined it 20 years ago. And it's true today. And it's getting truer by the minute. Now, what do we do? Well, as let's, let's deal with the technology end of it. Because that becomes faith. Remember, it's not technology anymore. You just simply, it's meta again. Right over. And technology becomes faith. When you say technology, you're saying faith. Now, do I have anything against technology? No, man. I started, my first computer was in 1980. There was nobody doing computers. The closest person to me that owned a computer was over 25 miles away. And I was banging away on my keyboard. I'd get up early in the morning. You know how I got my first computer? I worked in a pillow stuffing factory. I would go in the mornings and stuff pillows for this lady that went to our church. It cost $400 to buy the first computer. I was hooked. I knew where we were going. I knew what it was going to be like. So there's no, my phone will do anything. I, I run complete operations around the world off of this little gadget right here. This phone has more computing power. I just... Uh, I, I heard this just the other day, and I've read it before, than the spaceship that took people to the moon. More. That little, that computer that took the people to the moon had 4K. I, I think I've got 16 or six, 16 gigabytes and plus 2,500 gigabytes of other storage. I mean, uh, I can reach around the world with this thing. I can look at people. Sometimes I go like that, you know, but still I can look at people. And what's worse, they look at me. <laughs> you see, faith in God, low technology, believers bold, unbeliever cannot oppose. Low faith, 
in God. High technology. Believers are timid. Unbelievers are emboldened to tell you they don't believe in your God. That's the way it is. So we can either go to our houses and cry in our milk, or we can get up and do something about it. Now, I have always been one who tried to get up and do something about it. Uh, I tell people, my name is Martha. I'd be right in there saying, Lord, Mary is not doing her job. I'm a Peter. I'd love to get out of that crazy boat. Who wants to be in the boat anyway? Especially one that's sinking. I love, somebody told me the other day, he, he read a book called uh, uh, Radical Thinking. Uh, and uh, he said, i got to start thinking out of the box. I've lived my whole life outside of that crazy box. Don't put me in a box. I don't want to be in a box. I want to be where God is. I want to be on the forefront. I want to be at the head of the battle. I want to see the Lord of hosts. I want to watch him vanquish the foes. That's what I want. I don't want to go home and eat a meal and go to sleep. I do that nowadays and I berate myself. And I, I'm just getting older. Man, I eat a meal, it's over. Uh, all the blood rushes from my brain to the stomach and I don't have any extra blood up there anymore. So I go sound asleep. But I love getting out of that boat. Wow. Can you imagine walking on that water? <laughs> you'd believe God then, wouldn't you? Boy, you'd say to other people, there's a God. I know him. Job said, mine eye hath seen thee. He said, I have heard thee with my ear. But now my eye seeth thee. That's the last chapter of Job. We all want the last chapter, but we don't want that first chapter. We don't want to go through what Job went through so he could make that statement. I have heard of thee with my ear. You know, I have so many preachers that the only thing they know is words. But sadly, they make the words dead. The only thing they know is what a book says. And sadly, they make the message dead. Because till you get up out of that boat... There's no passion behind it. No conviction. But boy, when you've been out of that boat, the reason I can talk to you like I do is because I've seen him. I know him. I know his steps. I've heard his voice. You say, are you kidding me? No, sir, I am not. And I make no apology for it. You know, I've heard his voice. I've read this book. It's a great book. And everything it says about him, I've seen in many ways. Now folks, until we're willing to get up out of the boat, and I'd like to tell you some things that I think a church ought to do. Because like I said, I'm deeply concerned about the fact that our churches aren't witnessing. They've purged it out of our minds. 
You see, our minds have been seared. Our conscience is no longer the same conscience that we used to have. And it's because we don't want to be beaten down. It's because uh, our only hope is Fox News. It's the only hope we have. And one of the great warriors for the faith went down, and that was Limbaugh. There was weeping in the churches the day he died. And now Hannity has taken up his cloak and will do double the miracles that Limbaugh has done because that is our Elijah and our Elisha. Today we only tune in to one station. Folks, those people don't have enough power in their life to blow the fuzz off a peach. Do you understand that? These are human beings that don't know any more about life than you do. But they have a pulpit that they can preach from and we will go to that pulpit as often as possible and drink of that living water as much as we can and find no solace for our souls when it's right here. Now, there are three ways that we teach our people in our church uh, about evangelism. First of all, there's broadcasting. Oh, I can't go over here because I'm on that thing. Um, there's broadcasting the message. Now, we have a thing called uh, door bagging. And what we did was we decided that we would take so many Sunday afternoons, there would be no Sunday night church, and we would take so many Sunday afternoons of the year and we'd all get together and we have a goal this year of putting the gospel in 10,000 homes. And we're going to do it. We're going to do it. You say, well, that's just putting the gospel. Don't you realize that's the power of God and salvation? People get saved from that. They may not come to me and get saved, but that's the power of God. We have a, 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 a ministry on Sunday afternoons, on those evangelism Sundays, where we, uh, I go on to the computer on the GIS, uh, and you can get everybody's name and their street and everything, their address, and we put it all in the computer and we print out, I, I just printed out 250 homes that this month we're going to try to write a gospel letter by hand to each person. And we're asking each church member to take 10 addresses and we give you sample letters. Now, if you... I love ladies. Don't you? They'll look at me and go, well, I read it. I don't really like it. <laughs> And you know what we say to the ladies? Well, you're going to write, are you kidding me? Not to the ladies. You go, ma'am, you write that letter any way you want to. God bless your soul. Thank you so much. Because I learned a long time ago, if you want to stay in a church, don't stir up the devout women. Okay? You won't last. I'm telling you. I used to tell our deacons, I'd say, now, we're about to make a major decision. And before we vote on it, I'd like you to go home and talk with your wife. And they go, and I'd say, yeah, I'd like to know what you think. 
You think I'm joking, don't you? No, sir. Because I'd always hear this. We'd vote on something, man, it was happy, good. Oh, it was just wonderful. And the next time I saw the guy, he'd go, uh, Preacher, I've been thinking about this. You know what he's been doing? He went home, told his wife, and she told him the party line. And I don't know of any man that'll go against his wife. Do you know of any man that'll go against his wife? I don't. It was great. Now, in these situations, we love to write those letters. We have a survey system. And some people love to go and knock on a door and they'll say, hey, I'm taking a survey. Take you less than three minutes to answer the questions. I got six simple little questions, yes or no mainly. And people go, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And you know what that does? That tells us if we can go back to that home again. Because that gives us contacts. You know the reason most churches don't do evangelism? They have no contacts. And most of you aren't fuller brush salesmen, okay? That you can go up and knock on a door, put your foot in the door so they can't close it. You know, you're not that way. And thank God you're not. That's not the Holy Spirit way. We just want to get the gospel out there. The Holy Spirit will do the work. And so, uh, and then we have some, we have stormtroopers. I think we got about two or three uh, in the whole church. Our church is 300 or more people. But we got two or three that can go up to a door and take somebody to the point of gospel presentation and give it to them. Now, I'll admit to you, they're very rare nowadays. Used to be a lot more. Uh, you're going to do the exchange, right? I know Brother Musgrave. I've, I've stayed in his home. Uh, this is marvelous. I know a church in Finley, Ohio that had him come in one year, they had 22 adults come to Christ using the exchange. 22 adults. So I, I thank God. I was just so excited when I heard about you doing that. That's wonderful. That's the kind of getting out of the boat, isn't it? And Brother Musgrave will do a good job with you. You'll love him. Is he the one coming? No. Who's coming? You're going to do it. Okay. That's good. That's good. Our uh, I've had several who have done that, you know. Um, so we have people that do that. You know what we also have? We have prayer warriors. Now, we don't call them prayer warriors. We call them prayer evangelists. Because on that Sunday afternoon, we have all the streets that we're going to cover. And each person takes a, a map with the street, and they pray for house number 607, Fieldstone Drive, house number 608. And then when they go home, we keep sending them prayer requests. And they're prayer evangelists. They're older a lot of times. They're ladies, widows. Uh, they're ladies that uh, uh, live by themselves uh, or gentlemen. And they just want to be a part. Then we have bag stuffers, because if you're going to put uh, 10,000 bags out, you've got to have 10,000 bags stuffed with things. And so there's some who stay behind and stuff. But that's called broadcasting. We're just trying to get the message out there. 
Folks, we have been so long out of the marketplace that people, you can walk up to them and say, do you know anything about Jesus? And they'll say, I've never heard of anything. That's because we pulled out of the marketplace 30 years ago because we were miffed that the world wasn't going our way. And we'll take our ball and go home. You'll suffer for it. Well, they haven't, have they? This is not their day of suffering, necessarily. That's coming. Read 2 Thessalonians. It's very clear it's coming. But it's not here right now. They're doing pretty good, aren't they? Some of them are mortally rich. Some of them live in million-dollar homes. But you know those people in million-dollar homes don't talk to each other? They're on the verge of divorce. The kids hate the parents. There's drug, heavy alcohol use. But we don't knock on their door. Well, how dare they kick us out and think we're going to go crawling back to them and tell them how Jesus saves? They don't deserve it. They deserve exactly what they're going to get. We don't say the word that they deserve hell, but we sure live it. And every time somebody in the party that we don't like has a bad circumstance, we go, oh, that's terrible, and then we laugh real loud. Why? Because there's no passion. So there's broadcasting, uh, and we love it. Our, our people just love it. Uh, then, not only is there broadcasting of the message, but there's confrontational witnessing. And we're teaching our people to do that, where you actually confront somebody with the gospel, tell them they're a sinner and that they need to be saved. But there's a third kind, and that's called step evangelism, where we go out and deliberately step people in. Now keep in mind, the reason I'm telling you this is because the future of missions depends on the mother church. And the mother church depends on the power of God, which is the gospel. I can't change that. That's written. It's in stone. God said it. I don't even have to interpret it or get a theology book to know about it. It's just stated very clearly. You read it and you go, oh, oh, that's what that means. Yeah, it means what it says. Now, step evangelism is where we actually realize that we are in a foreign culture today. They don't know Moses. They don't know Paul. Peter they've heard of because of the Catholic Church and they're not all that happy with that. And so we tell Bible stories and they don't know anybody in those Bible stories. And above all, the kids don't. You get a kid and say, okay, I want to tell you the story of Joseph. And they look at you like, was he a rock star? That's all they know. So we don't live in the culture of the days of the 70s and early 80s. We now live in the 21st century and we better make some decisions. Now you say, how do I witness to somebody that is so stone cold to witnessing? How do I do that? Well, first of all, you've got to know how to witness, thank God, right? But you've got to get a method. You can know all the truth in the world. You may have the smoothest presentation. I mean, it may be like silk. 
But if you can't get it to the person's ear, no good. And today we're going to have to practice step evangelism. We step back into the culture. They step to Jesus in the church. Uh, one of the things that we are working on right now on Sunday evenings, on our evangelism Sundays, is we are uh, asking families to get together, two or three families, and they invite somebody from the community to their home. Now, that means you're going to have to tolerate things that you haven't tolerated before. Uh, I never will forget, I was in a church in Mississippi, and man came and ate with us. By the way, he got saved and became a deacon in the church. Uh, but he smoked, okay, when, when I first met him. And so he came to my house and ate, and I, I, after he ate, I said, well, let's go outside and sit down. And he just breathed a sigh of relief. You know why? He didn't want to smoke in my house. But on the front porch, immediately he started smoking. Why? He'd smoked since he was a child. And he was a little crude. Yeah, you may put up with a little bit of that. Boy, wish to God that our children today saw us fighting that battle rather than the one where we run and hide and they don't respect us for it at all and we can't get them to even darken the door of our churches. And when they go to school, they leave us and flee from us. Our Christian schools have graduates that wouldn't even think of coming back to our school or our church. Why? Nothing there to go back to. Bunch of rules. Told what I can do, when I can. You know, people don't mind rules if you show a purpose and reason behind them. They see rich people who haven't had one rule in their life placed on them. So there's no value in showing them money or position or wealth. You know what they like? When they see the confrontation of good and evil and they see the evil. What does the Bible say in Romans? How do you overcome evil? With good. It's exactly what Paul said. And at that time, the Christians were being put in sacks hung from a pole and the sacks were set on fire. Wow! We're not experiencing that yet, are we? Yeah, you overcome evil with good. And that's what we need to do. Now, we step people in by, we don't know how long it's going to take that you might have to bring a person into your home. But let me read you the verse that we talked about. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Preaching. Praying. But you start with pray. That's how it all starts. Uh, and for kings and for all that are in authority, now listen very carefully, that you may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. You see, the impact of prayer is a godly and honest life on your part. And from that life become, comes tranquility, peace. Now keep in mind, they look like they're peaceful on the outside. They're not. They don't know if they'll have their job tomorrow. They don't know if they'll have their wife tomorrow. 
They don't know that they might be called to the hospital and their son is OD'd and he's not coming back. And so they have liquor cabinets in their homes. And every kind of strong drink that you can imagine is there. They take a few at lunch. When they get home before they eat, they take a few to let them wind down a little bit so they can eat their meal. They drink quite a bit of wine during the evening meal. And then before they go to bed, they have another dose of alcohol. And before long, they can't live without it. But that's none of our business. Yes, it is. Yes, it's very much our business. Because Jesus saves. And that's what we've got to do. And you may have to invite that man 50 times to your home before the time of need occurs. Now, I'm going to close with this because I know you've been very kind to listen to me. Time of need is where our ministry must be prepared. How many of you, every time you see a commercial for Toyota, you run out and buy a Toyota? And you have about 27 of them at home right now because you've, in fact, you've, you no longer watch the commercials because you owe Toyota so much. You don't do it, do you? You watch that Toyota commercial and think of it. And it has to be very, very good because it's got to get your attention. So there's one thing you remember. What is that? What is it that you remember? Toyota. 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 And then all of a sudden, you need a car. You come to a time of need. And you've been watching. You don't think of uh, the Hugo. You don't even remember that car, do you? Hugo. Do you remember the car, Hugo? Terrible little car. But anyway. uh, You know what you think of? You think of Chevrolet. You think... Of Toyota. Why? Because you've watched 7,537,000 commercials that said Chevrolet, Toyota, time of need, bingo. Why do you think they call them Kleenex? They're not Kleenex. That's the name of a product, not the name of the tissue. But it came that way because it was synonymous. And now you say, do you have any clinics? No, I got this off brand. <laughs> it's cheaper. Doesn't have that gooey stuff in it. But anyway, uh, folks, time of need is terrible. It means somebody has reached a point where all answers that they have given. How a man get saved? He really got saved. I had witnessed him, I never will forget. His wife and he came to our church. She was the first nurse that ever traveled with us with Operation Renewed Hope. She did all the initial work. Her name is Kate Feistnott. She lives right out here in California right now. Uh, I don't know the town. I can't remember. But anyway, um, when he first came, he was respiratory therapist. And so... um, he went into, his boss was our chairman of deacons. And that's the reason they came to the church was because of him. And so he went into the, to his boss 
our chairman of deacons, and he looked at him and he, and he sat down. He said, all right, you're going to tell me about Jesus. I know that's coming. Let's just get it over with. And so he sat right there. And sure enough, he was told the gospel. He said, thank you so much. I don't believe it. I'm not going to believe it. And got up and walked out. And he wouldn't, oh, I'd witnessed him several times. Many people had. Now, he got sick. Went to the hospital. The hospital was Duke Medical Center. Duke Medical Center employs 33,000 people. That's how big the thing is from all over North Carolina. They did the work on him. He was recovering, but all of a sudden he got an infection. It was a hospital infection, and he almost died. When he came to his time of need, one of our men went to the hospital and led him to Christ. And from that point on, he always said, I trusted Jesus. Folks, we need churches 